Welcome to the Baptist Pulpit. This podcast is designed to introduce to the audience Baptist preachers, both living currently in America or across the world, and also to introduce classic speakers, men of the past. There were Baptist preachers that have inspired men like myself for years to preach the Word of God. And they also, through their preaching, highlight Baptistic principles. Our classic preacher from the past is Dr. Bob Kelly. Dr. Kelly was changed forever, but at the age of 19, he was miraculously saved. He was a football player and he loved playing football, but once he was saved and God called him to the ministry, he went to Tennessee Temple University and was trained under the ministry of Dr. Lee Robertson. Upon graduation, he took a pastorate in West Virginia, but eventually settled at Franklin Road Baptist Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee in 1969. He led Franklin Road through building projects and established a Christian school. He even had two devastating fires and helped the church through that disaster. While serving the Lord in evangelism in the mid-1970s, Pastor Kelly earned the nickname Machine Gun Kelly. A fellow preacher once said he could preach more in 25 minutes than most men could in an hour. Long be remembered also for his work with young preacher boys whom he called his Timothy Club. He had a burden to see young men grow into faithful servants of God. Dr. Kelly was married to his beloved Mrs. April. For many of these years together, Bob cared for his wife as she battled multiple sclerosis. That hardship, however, could never dampen his love for his wife or his God. In 1991, Dr. Kelly became the pastor of Grace Baptist Church, West Columbia, South Carolina, where he served until his death in 2006. On October uh, 28th of that year, after a short battle with terminal illness, he went into glory, serving God for 43 faithful years. Pray that this message will be a blessing to you. I turn in your Bibles, if you will, this morning to Luke chapter 12. The book of Luke chapter 12. Today I want to preach on one of the most powerful parables in the life and ministry of the Lord Jesus. You say, Brother Kelly, what is a parable? Well, someone said it's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And I want you to know if there is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning in the Bible, it's got to be this one. Luke chapter 12. Hope all of you have got your Bibles. And by the way, that's why we're here, aren't we? To hear the Word of God. Now, I love music. I love fellowship. I love announcements. I love everything about church. But I want you to know, most of all, I love the Word of God. I love the Bible. And that's why we ought to be here this morning, to sit at the feet of Jesus and let Him be our teacher. Luke chapter 12. If you've got the Word of God in your hand, look at me and do this. Okay? You got it? Are you ready to hear it? Amen? God bless your hearts. Let me just say this to you. On Wednesday nights, I'm teaching the Word of God, but on Sundays right now, just getting started, I'm preaching the Word. I think the Bible makes a distinction between teaching and preaching. And I think right now what Grace Baptist Church needs more than anything else is an old-fashioned revival. I don't know of a better way to start a ministry than with a revival. And so I think the preacher ought to preach some revival sermons, and that's what I'm doing right here at the first, to try to get us excited about the Lord. Look at Luke chapter 12. 
12, beginning at verse 15. Now, verse 15 is a prefiguratory verse for the whole parable. Look at it. The Bible says, And he said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness. For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods and I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But, and that's one of the biggest conjunctions in all the Bible. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself, and is not rich toward God. Thou fool, this night, Thy soul shall be required of thee. Let's bow in prayer, please. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Now, Father, this morning as we approach the Scripture, I pray that the Spirit of God might control both the preaching and the hearing. I pray right now that I might be filled, unctionized, empowered with the Spirit of God. And I pray every word I say today ought to be said. And I pray you'll use it to prick our hearts. Bring conviction where conviction is needed. Bring comfort where comfort is needed. I pray bring challenge where challenge is needed. Give freedom to preach. Speak to every heart. And Father, we pray today that the Holy Spirit of God will make sure that the Lord Jesus is glorified. In Jesus' name, Amen. One of the most dangerous words in all the Bible is the word fool. That word should never be used frivolously, loosely, or lightly. I remember when I was just a little boy, my daddy said to me one day, Son, never call your brother a fool. Because Matthew 5.22 says, Call up his brother a fool is in danger of hellfire. But wait, my friends. God can call a man a fool. And if God calls a man a fool, write it down. That man is a fool in every sense of the word. And that's exactly what happens in this parable. God looks down on the life of one man, his life, and he says, Thou fool, thou fool, thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Now I've got to ask the question, why is God angry? Why is God mad? What mistakes had this man made? Where had he failed? What sins has he committed? Hear me, when God calls a man a fool, that is very serious business, and I've just got to ask why. Did God call this man a fool because he was successful? And surely he was successful. The Bible says his ground brought forth plentifully. He can look to the east and see high-towering corn. He can look to the west and see rolling fields of grain. He had reached the pinnacle of the agricultural world. He was a success. Is God angry with success? I don't think so. If you're a doctor today, I believe God would have you to be a successful doctor. If you're a teacher today, I believe God would have you to be a successful teacher. If you're a lawyer today, I believe God would have you to be a successful lawyer. God ordained success. He's pleased with success. So surely, He didn't call the man a fool because he was successful. Then again, did 
Did God call this man a fool because he made plans? And he did make plans. He said, I'll pull down my barns and I'll build greater. He was a visionary. This man was a pragmatist. He had a plan for the future. Hey, God Almighty's a planner. He had a plan for creation. He cut the ruts for the first rivers. He fashioned the first mountains. Certainly he had a blueprint for all of this. And God can't be angry with him because he made plans. Again, God had a plan for salvation. You see, my friends, our salvation was planned even before the foundations of the world. Jesus Christ is the Lamb slain before the foundations of the world. God is a planner. So I say to you, God's not angry with this man because he made plans. And God's not angry with this man because he was successful. Then you say, Brother Kelly, why this sickening summation? Why this raging condemnation? Why does God say, Sir, you are a first-class fool. Now, before I explain that, let me remind you that there are other fools listed in the Bible. First of all, over in Psalm 53 and verse 1, you have the atheistic fool. The Bible says the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Now, this is the person who can look at the intricate detail of the body. Here's a man who can look at a baby smile. Here's a man who can look at a Grand Canyon and still say, I don't believe in a Creator. I don't believe in God. I believe every one of us would have to admit that fella is a fool. We can go on through Scripture. Proverbs 1.7, the Bible says fools despise wisdom and instruction. If I know my Bible, what that's saying is this. A man who rejects inspired Scripture. A man who turns his back upon the Bible and says, I just don't believe this is the Word of God. I do not accept it. I believe I would have to agree with God. That person is a fool. Again, in Proverbs 14.9, the Bible says a fool makes a market sin. Here's the fellow who laughs at adultery. Here's the fellow who laughs at drunkenness and makes a joke out of illicit sex. God says that fellow is a fool. I could go on through Scripture and underline certain fools in the Bible, but... I say to you, the classic fool, the imperial fool, the joker of the Bible, the king of all the fools in Scripture has to be this one in the parable of Luke chapter 12. And you say, why? Folks, I want to share something with you. When we get into this parable, you're going to think we're reading yesterday's newspaper. You talk about something contemporary and up to date. Luke chapter 12 reads as if it happened just this morning. And what I'd like to do is take this parable of the Lord Jesus. Bring it down the corridor of time and let you see some of the things that we need to see in a mighty way in 1991. Now you say, preacher, why do you think God called this man or labeled this man a fool? I think there are four reasons and they're both. They're so powerful and so useful in 1991. Number one, I believe God called this man a fool because he had no room in his heart. He had no room in his home. He had no room in his future. For anything good and anything godly and anything spiritual. And let me show you what I mean. Do you have a good ballpoint pen? I want you to start with me in verse 17. And I want you to circle all the personal pronouns you see. Look at them, would you? The Bible says he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits and my goods. And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater. There will I bestow all my fruits 
and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. Did you count them? Fifteen times. I, me, my, or thine. Fifteen times he referred to his own little selfish, materialistic world. Not one word about God. Not one word about Jesus. Not one word about the Holy Spirit. Not one word about the local church. Not one word about his wife. Not one word about his children. Not one word about anything spiritual. Not one word about heaven. Not one word about hell. Everything he said centered upon his own little selfish, individual self. He was the supreme egotist. He had put God in a suitcase and set God on a long journey and left no forwarding address. He had no time for anything spiritual at all. And God called him a fool. Three applications. Put them down. Number one, my friend, there's nothing wrong with you having money, but there is something wrong with money having you. There is absolutely nothing wrong with you having a beautiful home, but there's something wrong with that beautiful home having you. And there's nothing wrong with having fine, nice clothing, but there is something wrong with that fine, nice clothing having you. The only person in this world that ought to have you apart from your wife, dad, or apart from your husband, mom, but the only one who has the right to have you and own you is Jesus Christ Himself. He has the deed of your life. He is the owner. And my friend, I can say this, your life is in danger if you do not realize that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. I've got to make a second application. This man was not an atheist. Please understand. You go through the passage. You won't find one place where he says, well, I don't believe in God, but I want you to know what he was. He was a practical atheist. You say, Brother Kelly, what's the difference? Oh, oh, oh. watch me now. Uh, you're not atheistic simply because you say, I don't believe in God. My friend, all you have to do to be an atheist is just to live as if there is no God. And we've got a whole lot of folks today that are living as if there is no God. I mean, folks, listen to me. You hear me and hear me well. I have never lived in a world like this one where every decision of life and every decision of family revolves around one thing. What will it do for me? What will it get me? Hey, how will it get me ahead? Can I get up that ladder of success? I'll tell you one thing. We are living in a mentality, in a syndrome today as if God doesn't exist. I got another application, and it's right here in the parable, and I want you to see it. Let it live, Lord. Let it live in our hearts today. Man, I have never lived in an age or a day when men live as far as crisis-oriented as today. What do you mean by that, preacher? Hey, I'm finding more and more it's taking God some drastic measures to get man's attention. Huh? Hey, I'm a preacher. I live with this all the time. I visit the hospitals. I visit the home. I work with folks. It's a constant, average thing for me. It's par for the course. It's normal. And it's getting harder and harder for God to get people's attention today. He's having to ring their bell. He's having to come to their home. He's having to say, hey, bud, remember, I'm up here. Do you remember I exist? 
And we are to the place in many of our churches today where our pews are filled with cold, lethargic, supposedly born-again Christians. And I pray you are. But folks, let me tell you something. By your own decision and lifestyle of life, God is not in it. Now I'm saying to you, God had a right to call this man a fool. And he called him a fool, first of all, because he had no room in his heart, no room in his home, and no room in his future for anything spiritual. I remember one day I was out visiting. I'll never forget it as long as I live. I was riding down a street on the way to the church. This is the little church I pastored when I was in seminary back in the hills of Tennessee. But I was on my way out to the church, and I saw a boy standing in his backyard. I said to myself, you've never witnessed him. He only lives about a mile from the church, and you haven't witnessed to him. I pulled the car over, went back to where Bill was standing, and I witnessed to Bill, gave him a good, clear presentation of the gospel. I said, Bill, would you like to be saved? He said, wait a minute, preacher. He said, wait a minute. He said, you see that new car in the driveway? He said, I'm having a moonlight to pay for that car. He said, Mom's going to have a new baby, and I'll tell you what, I'm having to work two jobs to get ready to pay for that baby. And I'll tell you, folks, he said it. A lot of us won't say it. A lot of us won't vocalize it. But he said it. He said, I'll be honest with you, preacher, I just don't have time for the Lord. Ooh, that shook me. I reached into my pocket. I pulled out a gospel track. I shoved it into Bill's hand. I said, Bill, I'm going to pray for you. And I did. I began to pray for Bill. About six months later, the grocer across the street from Bill called me. He said, Brother Kelly, he said, you'd better get down to Bill's house. I said, what's wrong? He said, I don't know, but I saw the ambulance leave. And I got in my car, went down to Bill's house. I ran up the wall. Bill opened the door. Big old tears streaming down his face. And I saw it. A little empty crib. I said, oh, no. And old Bill said, oh, yes, preacher. God took our baby last night, and he was so broken. His little wife had her face in her hands. God took our baby last night. Needless to say, the very next day, I led Bill and his wife to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ about three feet away from their baby's casket, and God taught me one of the greatest lessons of my life. If a man will not make room for God, he's capable and able of making room for himself. First of all, God called the man a fool. He had no room for anything spiritual. But number two, and watch this one. Brother, God called this man a fool because he blatantly, willfully chose the world over God and make sure you understand what I'm saying. His sin was not a slip up. Someone said, well, sometimes sins leap upon us. But there are other times sin creep upon us. Sins creep upon us. I want you to know the sins of this man did not creep upon him. They did not sneak upon him. His sin was not accidental. His sins were not unintentional. By the way, every sin we commit ought to be unintentional. Amen? Now watch me. But his sins were not unintentional. I want you to see something that I'm seeing more and more of. Look at verse 19. He said, I will. It was a willful decision of the heart. He said, I will say to my soul, soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease. Here was his philosophy. Eat, drink, and be merry. Get all you can, can all you get, sin all you want to. He deliberately chose a playboy lifestyle. And folks, I want you to see this. Hey, now listen to me. I'm finding more and more people today who really like sin. They really enjoy it. I mean, Bud, listen to me. They have sat down and thought it through. 
And they said, no church, no Jesus, no God, no Holy Spirit. I want the bottle. I want women. I want to live it up. And here is a man, my friends, here is a man who thought it through and chose a deliberate life of sin. we got a whole lot of folks just like that today. A whole lot of them. And they're growing every day you live. Sin's getting to be fun. And it's dangerous where sin is fun. Very dangerous. Hey, it's very dangerous when you can smile when you do it. Huh? And it's really dangerous when you can make a joke about it. God help us. I'm going to tell a story. My mother's here. She had a sister by the name of Zona. Aunt Zona and Uncle Sam lived in Dalton, Georgia. Uncle Sam was the superintendent of Crown Cotton Mill there. And at one time they were wealthy people. I remember our family used to go down. Our family wasn't wealthy in any way. We used to like to go down and be with them, to eat with them, and just have fun at their home and would go down on Sundays. But I'll never forget something that my Aunt Zona told me after I got saved. Now listen to this. I was over at their home one day, and my Uncle Sam had died. He died early. My Aunt Zona lived many years after Uncle Sam died. And after I got saved, Aunt Zona looked at me and she said, Bobby, she said, there's something I need to tell you about your Uncle Sam. I said, what is it, Aunt Zona? And she said to me, and I'll never forget it, you don't know this, but one day your Uncle Sam came home from the cotton mill and he said to me, Zona, I believe God is calling me to preach. Well, I said, Aunt Zona, what did he do? She said, well, he rocked on for a year and another year and another year and he'd leave singing a little bit here or leave singing a little bit there, but he would never preach. And she said, I watched that day after day after day. And he said, she said to me, one day he said to me, Zona, I'll be honest with you. And oh, this shook me because I had just received a call from God to preach. She said to me, she said, one day Sam walked in from the cotton mill and he said, Zona, I just don't believe I can give up all this money to preach. I don't believe I can give up this home to preach. I don't believe I can make the sacrifices that I have to make to preach. And she said, Bobby, from that day, our family went down, down, down. And I could tell you the story. They lost everything they had. Now, let me tell you something, my friend. You choose the world over God and it'll cost you. It'll cost you. Let's get a little deeper into the parable. First of all, notice, no room for God. Blatantly chose the world over God. But number three, why did God call him a fool? And God is justified in calling him a fool. I want you to see this one. He forgot that God was the giver of all that he had. Let me show you what I mean by that. Now follow the parable just for a minute, okay? Notice what he says, verse 17. He called within himself saying, what shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. Question, who told him they were his fruits? Read on. And he said, this will I do. I'll pull down my barns. Question, who told him they were his barns? And there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. Who told him they were his goods? He forgot what a lot of other people forget. Man, he looked at those rolling fields of grain and he said, they're all mine. <laughs> he looked at that high towering corn. He said, it's all mine. He looked at that beautiful home and he said, it's all mine. 
guess what he forgot? He forgot James 1.17. Every good gift and every perfect gift cometh down from the Father of lights in whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. I want everybody to look at me and read my lips. Okay? God didn't put His signature in the sun, but He owns it. And God didn't write His, his name on the, uh, the song in the songbird's throat, but He owns it. And God didn't leave His sands in the uh, feet and the footprints in the sands of the Sahara, but He owns it. And I want you to know, He didn't put His brand on the cattle in a thousand hills, but He owns it. And He owns you. He owns you by right of creation. My Bible says He breathed in the man the breath of life. He owns you by right of redemption. He spread eagled Himself on a tree one day. And they nailed His hands and His feet there. And I want you to know with that thorn-crowned brow on His head, He cries out, I own you. I'm going to tell you something. I've learned something about preaching. And I've learned something about people. The best way to know people is to study people. A man won't stop with my fruits. He won't stop with my barns. He won't stop with my goods. Oh no! He'll go all the way. When it really hits him and he cries, my fruit, my goods, my barns, the next thing he'll say is, look at it, I will say to my soul. He'll get to thinking, he's the boss. But don't you believe it for a minute, bud. God owns you. I'm not a horticulturist. I, I know very little about gardening. I know some of you do. I know some. I know how to cut the grass. Okay? That's about it. I don't know much about it. But I'll tell you one time, April taught me into growing her some good old tomatoes. Boy, I'm eating some good tomatoes since I've been up here. You folks are nice about those tomatoes. Okay? But anyway, now watch. I grew her some tomatoes out in the backyard. And every day I'd go out there and check my tomatoes. And one day I just happened to look down, and folks, I saw an anthill. Now, I used to think Tennessee anthills were big, but I've seen some of those South Carolinian anthills. Now, I want you to know, folks, those are anthills. The other day I was cutting the back. Uh, Brother Mascalier came over to cut my front yard, and I cut the backyard, and there were several anthills. anthills. I just enjoyed running right over them. Somebody, somebody will jump on me for killing ants now. I know you will. Watch me. I went out there and I was looking at April's tomatoes. And I just happened to look down and I saw a huge anthill. Does your imagination ever run away with you? Mine does. Here I was standing right up on top of that anthill looking down. And here were those little ants going in and out. Some had little breadcrumbs on their back. And others, you know, just carrying in and out. And I got to thinking, I wonder who they think I am. I said, maybe... They think I'm God. And you know what I did? <laughs> I rubbed them out. Folks, be spiritual right now. Don't you think God gets a little tired sometimes of us breathing His air? Drinking his water and walking on his terra firma and enjoying his trees and his flowers and, I mean, just really basking in all this. And like ugly pigs 
under an acorn tree with acorns hitting us in the head all day long. We never look up to see where it's coming from. But the biggest reason God called him a fool is the last one. I wouldn't call somebody a fool. I don't call folks fools. I really don't. I'm careful about that. Now, God can. He's God. But Preacher Kelly has to watch that. I don't believe anybody. Now, you may have disagreed with me with point one. You may have disagreed with me on point two. You may have disagreed with me on point three. You won't disagree on point four. What is it, Preacher? Oh, it's right here. He mended time, T-I-M-E, rather than eternity. Now watch. I want you to put yourself in this parable this morning and see if you've ever done this. Okay? See if you've ever done this. Here we go. Verse 19. I will say to my soul, soul has much goods laid up for everybody saying. Come on. Many years. Look at the next verse. But God said this night. Now watch him. This man said, many years? God said, no, sir, I'm sorry. Tonight. This man said, you're going to live a long life. Boy, he looked at those big old hands and those bulging arms and that farmer instinct that he had. And he just automatically surmised, one day I'm going to be an old man. I'll have my grandchildren on my knee. He said, I'm going to live a long life. God said, no, sir, I'm sorry. No, no, no. No, you're going to live a short life. You're going to die tonight. This man said, long days. God said, no, short days. Everybody look at it. This is one thing, my friend, you don't control. If I know anything about life, I know caskets come in all sizes. They come in this size, and boy, those are tough. But they get tougher when they're about this size, when you've had them six or seven years. But let me tell you, when they're really tough, that teenage size, and then for a young mama to see a 22, 23-year-old dad lying in that game, man, it gets tough. But all of them are tough, aren't they? Even when grandma or grandpa's in there. The biggest fool in all the world is the person who feels he's even got five minutes to live. If life were a yardstick, 36 inches, there's some children here that still got pretty good throw. Some teenagers here, pretty good. Some young couples, that is, if you live a normal life. But some of us, folks, I'm 50. Ooh. And some of you, man, you're already past the end of the stick. Every minute you've got's borrowed. What fools we are, God's right, to play around about life as if we've got all the time in the world. You may visit with your family tomorrow the funeral parlor. God help us. God help us to apply this parable to up-to-date 1991. We'll tell you a story. Outside Atlanta, Georgia, and I'm sure about all of them. Have you ever seen uh, Stone Mountain? My little girl Dawn. Dawn lives right at the base of Stone Mountain. She can see that thing. Stone Mountain. Now, if I'm right on this, Stone Mountain's eight miles in circumference. It's about, what, uh, half mile or maybe between half and three-quarter mile high. 
And it's one of the only mountains in the world. It's total granite from top to bottom. Let's play like this morning. And every year, once a year, a little sparrow flies into Stone Mountain and lands. And with his little beak, he plucks out just a little piece of granite. And he takes that piece of granite and he flies to the Atlantic Ocean and deposits his little pebble of granite. Every year he does that. He flies in once a year, flies out once a year, he gets his pebble, he's gone. Every year. Use your imagination. When that little sparrow will have reduced Stone Mountain to the ground, the eternity of the Bible will have only begun. And you don't have time for God? And you are so blatant that you sin over God with that, that thing out there called eternity? And you would forget everything you've got from Him? And you, come on now, you would busy yourself about T-I-M-E and forget all about eternity? I'm going to ask you, 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 you tell me, was God right about this fellow or not? Sure, don't get mad at God. I didn't call him a fool, God did. Let's pray. Thanks for listening to the Baptist Pulpit. 2 Timothy chapter 4 says, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be instant, in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. We pray that through the challenging preaching of the Word of God today, that you will be encouraged to stay faithful in preaching the Word and hearing the Word. Lester Roloff many years ago said, the world's greatest need is preaching preachers. Let's pray that in this day and this hour, we will stay faithful to the preaching of Jesus Christ. Thanks again for listening to The Baptist Pulpit.